Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North The last couple weeks we have been in this series and uh, I've been kind of working through uh, a theological concept of Jesus uh, coming onto the scene. He was baptized in the water. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he's gathered a crowd as he's begun to heal the sick, cast out demons, and forgive sins. And now that he's on this mountain, he's chosen 12 guys that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And we've been discussing kind of the history of Israel and how it takes place and why it fits into our paradigm, why Christians should be attached to the story of Israel. I'm not gonna touch too much of the theological concepts today um, if you've missed it, you can go back to our podcast the last couple times. We have it on Spotify, Audible, and Apple Music if you want to look up True North Vineyard Church. Today, I want to touch on just some practical things that we can learn from the story of the Exodus. So let me kind of just take a brief overview of why it's important, and then I'll touch some practical pieces. So... The story of the Exodus, God sets Israel free from their enslavement to Egypt and then brings them into the wilderness. He says, we're going to go to the promised land, but before then, we're going to go to Mount Sinai and you are going to meet the Lord and you're going to become my people. And they get into this liminal space, this place that's an in-between. It's not in bondage, but it's also not in the promised land. And this metaphor is actually taken into the New Testament. The New Testament writers look at this story and say, this is a metaphor for the Christian life. That when we're set free by what Jesus has done, Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father has now set us free from sin and dark powers. He has set us free so we can join our story into the story of Israel. We are no longer slaves. And we are no when we are not yet in the fullness of the kingdom. We are in a liminal space. We're in an in-between space. So I want to kind of tackle some practical pieces of why that's important. I want to center us on one idea today, and we're going to touch this concept a couple more times. But the centerpiece I want to talk about is that when God set Israel free and set us free, is he has brought us into a family. We are now a family unit. We together have a father. And we are all collectively, those who have accepted Jesus outside of this room and those of us locally, we are on a journey. And we are going towards what God has prepared for us. We have a beautiful inheritance. But right now we are in this life that he is training us to inherit the kingdom. He is maturing us, he is calling us, 
and he's doing mighty things in our life. God is a father, and he loves us. And that is the thing that we need to grasp right here and right now, that God is in love with you, that he has called you, and he has set you free, that when you accept Jesus into your life, you are no longer bound to the broken conditions of the world, but you are brought home into a family. But that looks like something. As some of you who are parents, when you have children, you want your children to have provision, right? You want to create a space for your child to not have to hunger. You want them to uh, have means, the shelter. You want them to live in a home that's safe. You don't want them to uh, be hurt from the outside. You want to protect them. You also want to have means for education, be that going to school, private school, or homeschool. You want to provide education for them to grow up, and you want to give them responsibilities so that when they leave your house and they become adults, they thrive. They thrive on the outside. They're able to create a family of their own. Well, God is doing a very similar thing with us. He is our Father. He wants to provide for you. He wants us to lean into him and have his provision. He also has made means for education so that we are taught and trained and equipped to do the good work. And he's also given us responsibility. This, this is what God is doing. He is maturing us into Christ's likeness. We are to live as Christ lived and become mature Christians so that when he arrives, we are able to inherit the kingdom that he's bringing so that we can enjoy that prosperity. So I want to ask three questions. I want to answer three questions today along these lines. The first question is, how does God provide? The second question is, how does God educate and equip us? And thirdly, what responsibilities has God given us? To that first question of how does he provide, God is good. That's the centerpiece. God is good. And he gives generously of his riches. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's the metaphor the Bible uses. And what we should understand that to be is he owns everything. He has all riches. He is vastly, he has all the money in the world. He owns it. And he loves us, and we are precious to him. In Matthew 6, there's this conversation that Jesus is having, and he's speaking to these people who are struggling with their day-to-day -day issues. They're struggling about where they're going to get their food, where they're going to get their clothing. They're worried about everything. And he says, look at the birds of the air. Doesn't the Father give them food? Doesn't the Father feed them and provide for them? Doesn't the Father clothe the lilies even more beautiful than any of the kings? Your Father loves you much more than he does the birds, much more than he does the flowers who are thrown into the fire the next day when they're dead. So don't worry about tomorrow, but seek first the kingdom of heaven. What God is inviting us into is he's saying, I'm your provider. 
don't worry about these things. Those people who don't believe, the unbelievers, they think this way, but you, as a child of God, you're not to think that way at all. You're to say, God, you're my provider. You need to provide for me because you love me. I step into that reality that God loves me and wants to tend to my needs. So how does God bless us? How do we receive from God? Well, number one, he asks us to pray. Jesus says this in Matthew 6. He says, this is how you are to pray. Your Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says this, give us today our daily bread. We are to come to him and ask. The relationship that we're in with the Father is one that he is testing us because he wants us to be dependent on him. He wants us to come and say, God, we are dependent on you, not of our own selves. We're not trying to be, imp- we're not trying to be uh, independent of you. We're not trying to do what Adam and Eve did and try to be God on our own. We are trying to be dependent upon the Father who is good, who wants to give us all good things. So the first thing we want to understand is that we pray and ask God to provide. A second one is that we give. The people of Israel, when they got into the wilderness, we have the 12 tribes, and one tribe was called to be the priestly tribe. They were the Levites. And when they would get into the promised land, they were not going to receive an allotment. They weren't going to get their own plot of land like the others. Their job was to be interspersed throughout the entire population. And the role of the other 12 tribes were that they were to give 10% of their earnings, their wages, their food, so that this tribe that is interspersed is taken care of so that they can minister to the rest. And this was to do a couple things. One, to provide for the priests so they didn't have to do anything other than worship God and tend to the needs of the people. And also it was to test those Uh, the hearts of the 12 tribes so that they would experience God's blessing. Because when they gave of their 10%, that 90% was good enough to survive. God didn't only say that you're going to survive, but he says that he's going to pour out his blessing. He's going to open up the windows of heaven, and that 90% is going to feel like 150%. That God was going to come, that when you gave of your fruit and your income, God was going to not only meet that and match that, but he was going to bless them. Now, that thought does carry over into the New Testament a little bit. Not one-to-one correlation, but there are similarities. Listen to how Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. He says this, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. The point here is not to say that you need to give a certain amount of money. What it is saying is God wants you to test his blessing. He wants you to test his goodness. That when you give your wealth and you give of your income to the church, when you give your income to the mission of God, he is going to bless you because you're blessing what he's doing. And you're providing means for the church to carry out its blessing to the world. That's the correlation that we're to see. So when we give, we should expect God to also 
provide a blessing that is either monetary, physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. The last thing we see in the way of God providing is that when we seek the kingdom of God first, when we see his agenda, when we seek his heart, when we are doing our role, be that being a mother of, of four to five children, being someone who is raising their children in a godly way, be that being an evangelist who stands on the street corner, be that uh, a person that's going to work and influencing their coworkers, or be that a person who is called to the prayer closet all the time. God is calling us to do the work of the kingdom and to put his agenda first. And as we seek his kingdom, he meets us along this journey. When, when Brooke and I like, began to do this and alongside a lot of our other team members, but as we've been just doing church planting, as we've been doing the work of the kingdom, we've had a lot of struggles and what God has done is in the midst of our struggle, God comes right beside us and provides the means that we need every time. And that's the same story for you. When you trust God, when you put God's, like, when you put his kingdom first in your life, when you say, Jesus, you're all that I want, and I will do anything it requires to go after what you want for my life, he meets us in that journey. The Old Testament says that we plan our lives but he orders our steps. That as we go about living for him, he steps in and he, he uh, what's the right word? He enters into that space and just meets us every time. He orders it. He walks in, he blesses us. We have no idea why that blessing came. It was so subtle, it was so mundane, but God met us there and he blessed it because we were about his business. The second question I want to answer today is, how does God educate and equip us? Well, when the people of Israel came into the land, they went to Mount Sinai, and this is where God gave them the Ten Commandments. This is where he gave them the Torah. And these were the words that they were to live by. These were the words that God had instructed them. For us, we have a, a, a Bible that's 66 books. It's a compilation of 40 authors' works that are inspired by the scriptures to tell us about the narratives, the prophecies, and the instructions that God has for his people. And the purpose of scripture is to teach, to train, and to correct us so that we live righteously. This is what Paul says about scripture. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That is why every week the pastor reads from the text. The Bible is meant to be what corrects us. It's what teaches us. It's what shapes our life. It's what shapes our worldview. It's what calls us into the great things that God has for us. It explains to us who God is and who we are in relationship to him. The Bible is meant to be a place, a placeholder for us to get into a life of the Spirit. It is to tell us how to step in this relationship with Jesus and to walk this life out. That's what the Scripture's purpose is. The second means in which we are to be equipped is by people. There are five ministry gifts, and they're people, and we all stink, just to be clear. <laughs> people are not the best barometer 
But God has gifted human beings to teach us, to equip us. And those five ministry gifts are the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. From those five lenses, we, the saints, are equipped to do the work of ministry outside. So when you hear from someone who is gifted as an apostle, that person is usually focused on their great commission. We have to make disciples of the nations. We have to go. The mission is the most important thing in their brain. To the prophet, it's the empowerment of the spirit. We have to hear from him. We have to be empowered by him. We have to heal the sick. We have to prophesy to the people. The third one is the evangelist. The evangelist is focused on the lost, the person far from God. The person is focused purely on the person who is broken on the inside, who needs help, who needs to know Jesus, and that's their entire focus. The opposite is the shepherd, and they want to tend to the people that are here. They want to create a home. They want to create a community that when you come to church, you feel welcome. You feel like you belong. You feel like this place can be home. That is the role of the shepherd, that they make people feel welcome and at home. And we have the teacher who looks at the scripture, goes through it, finds all the nuances and says, these are the principles to live. These are how we're to understand the pages of the Bible. This is how it relates to you. This is how you can live in accordance to what God wants. And these five ministry gifts give you a perspective and a worldview to go out there and to do the work, to love people well, to be stewards of your own soul. This is what it's meant. And the third way, and the most important way, in my opinion, that we are equipped and trained is by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus turns to his disciples before he goes to Golgotha under the cross, he says, it is better that I leave you because someone else is coming that is better for you. And when he dies on the cross and he raises and he resurrects and he goes to heaven, he pours out the Holy Spirit. He pours out a person that when we receive Jesus, he, the Holy Spirit, comes and makes residence in my life. I now have access to God himself. I now have access to peace that's internal, not external. I'm not receiving my joy and my peace from watching movies or interactions with humans. I'm receiving a peace from a person who now loves me and lives in me. And this person equips me to do all these great works because I am not doing it alone. I'm partnering with him and he equips me. He empowers me. He comforts me. He gives me spiritual gifts. He heals the sick as I pray for them. He's doing the work, but he's empowering me to be a part of that. Which goes into the third question. What responsibilities has God given us? Well, Jesus said this about himself, and we've said this passage a few times in Luke chapter 4. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to... Uh, to set free those who are in captivity, to heal the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to declare the day of the Lord's favor. The Holy Spirit has been democratized. He's been given to all of us because what Jesus did is he gave us his spirit. And so with that, we now go and say, the mission that Jesus had is now our mission. We are now to embody what Jesus did. We are to imitate him because the spirit of the Lord God is upon you. You proclaim the gospel. You speak it out to your neighbor. You go out and you talk about it. 
You hear it in here. And what it's supposed to do, the gospel is the forgiveness of sins. It is the removal of the taint of the brokenness of the world system. We proclaim that so people are set free from dark powers and brought home and healed. But it's also for you. The gospel is for you so that you can be washed over and over and over with the story of Jesus. That you can be washed clean over and over and over and remember what he has done for you to remind you of who you've been called to be so that we can not only hear the words, but we could also speak the words. It is meant to be something that cleanses you and also equips you. You go out with the gospel because the message that we carry is the forgiveness of sins. And people are brought into freedom when we speak this. But the gospel is not just a spiritual reality. It's not purely something that gets you from here to there. It is also something that is an action. The gospel is meant so that we would tend to the needs of the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized in our communities. We are to love people well outside of this room. Above and beyond our own political ideals. We are not just Americans. We're not Republicans and Democrats first. We are children of God. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And no matter who is in office, regardless if we like their policies or not, does not make that person an infallible person. We are not a political entity. We are serving a king, and we should be able to speak against injustices in our communities. We should be inviting our uh, we should be inviting broken people into our homes. We should be going out and tending to the needs of those who are in poor conditions, who are in broken conditions, regardless of what our political parties say they're doing, regardless of what your family might be saying they're doing, regardless of what your friends, we are not living with their ideals. We're living with the gospel's ideals. We live for a people that is broken outside of these walls. And that looks like action, not words. Thirdly, we pray for healing for physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual needs of people. Jesus is acclaimed as a miracle worker. The book of Acts says that Jesus went about doing good because the Spirit was upon him to heal the sick and cast out demons. That looks like us praying for people who are struggling with physical ailments, emotional ailments, mental ailments, spiritual ailments. We live and imitate Christ. And Jesus healed. Jesus did mighty works. And so the Holy Spirit is not just a thing of the past. He is now present in our lives, and he does the work. And so what we want to do is we want to take risks and pray for people and realize it's not on us to heal. It's God's sovereignty. God heals, not us. We're not the miracle worker. Jesus is. The Holy Spirit on your life is. And so we take risks with faith, not because we think that we can some drum up some ability for people to do all these mighty things. No, we believe that God wants to do them. And he wants to do it outside because he wants to demonstrate his mercy to a broken world. And he wants to do it right here because you are his child. He loves you. His mercy is for you. It's not just this random thing. Sorry. 
God loves us. He loves them. He loves you. And his mercy is for everyone. And that's why we step in and we believe that God heals today. Lastly, and I'll land the plane on this one. We proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We are in this exodus space, right? And God is calling everyone in this world to experience that journey out. He is calling everyone into this experience to experience his hope and his love and his peace. And as we experience his love and his hope and his peace, we are to go and carry that out to everyone else because he's calling people home. We are expected to experience his mercy. That is who we are. That is what he's doing. God has set us free from our enslavement to sin and bondage. The message we carry is the forgiveness of sins. God is no longer counting our brokenness against us, but has made us right through Jesus. All who come to him will be set right and be set free. And we are awaiting a day when all things will be made new. And then, when we who have had a, who have been on this journey because of our relationship with Jesus, will inherit the kingdom that is coming. I want to land with this idea, that God has called us into a family. And he's calling the world to be his family. And as people receive him, his family is growing. And what I want to tell us today as a church body, as a local church body, as a, as a healthy body grows. A healthy church grows. Because as you grow in maturity, as you are equipped, as the scripture takes its root in us, as we take uh, risks and we ask God to provide and we take this vocation, we take our responsibilities seriously, God is going to reach your friends. He's going to reach your family members. He's going to reach our communities. God has called you into something so vast and so great, but he's called you to be a child, to grow up, to look and realize that you have weaknesses that you need to work on, to shape you into the woman and the man that you've been called to be. And as he does that work, he's going to change the people around you. He's going to change our community. And we're going to see something mighty happen. Why don't you stand? We'll go ahead and transition. But I'm going to bless you. And we're going to go right into the next part of our service. So... If you do me a favor, just put your hands out like this. This is just a posture of receiving. Holy Spirit, I bless your people. I pray that you would pour out your love in such a powerful way that they would realize how precious they are to you. God, I pray that they would experience just the love and the power you have for them. And I pray that you would begin to equip them and give them responsibilities, that they would be called into service as loving people in your household, as loving sons and daughters in your household. I pray a blessing over them, that they would feel your love and your peace. May you go with them. May they be kept in your love this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard Podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website, 
vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We hope to see you soon.